evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining us tonight for the Joyce Cigarette Radio Hour. Joyce Cigarettes, the smooth smoke that nine out of ten doctors recommend. Rejoice with Joyce. It's the one for everyone. They're smooth, fresh, mild. A real smoke that's not a joke and never dulls your smile. Joyce, Joyce, Joyce. The doctor's choice. Yes, Joyce cigarettes are America's favorite cigarette, and they bring you America's favorite entertainment. Let's journey tonight to the dusty desert streets of Arizona for the mysteries hidden in the heart of a little town they call Phoenix. To the offices of a rakish private detective with secrets of his own, Pal Vargas. Last week, Detective Vargas tangled with the beautiful and mysterious Emma Blaze. You're not who you say you are, Mrs. Blaze. You think I'm a fraud, Mr. Vargas? Look in the mirror. Before Mrs. Blaze inadvertently revealed a secret. You said there were five members of your husband's research team, Mrs. Blaze. Who's the fifth man? I... I... And their conversation was interrupted by an unexplained and unexplainable event. What was that? I don't know. Nobody knows. Who or what lurks in the shadows of the Blaze Laboratory? What secrets are hiding behind Mrs. Blaze's beautiful eyes? Where is Dr. Alan Blaze? Find out tonight on Phoenix Lights. A lie is a story, and I've always prided myself on my storytelling. It's easy to slip up, to accidentally let go of a little thread of detail, and a good listener can gather all those threads up, pull them, and unravel the whole thing. Take Mrs. Blaze here. She's a good actress, but she doesn't have the practice with lying. She makes mistakes. A storyteller has to keep track of all the different threads, or else someone is likely to come along and tear out the seams. Mrs. Blaze, I thought we understood each other. You tell me what you can, and I'll help you. Now you're trying to hide things from me again? At least do me the favor of telling me when you aren't going to tell me something. I'm sorry. You caught me off guard. I don't think you've ever been off guard in your life, Mrs. Blaze. There is a fifth member of the research team, but I know that they didn't hurt Alan, that they weren't involved in any way with his disappearance. How do you know? Because they're me. You? Me. Minnie, come in here. Right away, Mr. Vargas. Well, well, well. I... Don't know. What's the dope, pal? Mrs. Blaze here has been lying to us, Minnie. Well, of course. How did you... Your voice is too perfect. And your clothes. And her face. And her body. And her eyes. And her face. Anyway, I always assume everyone who comes to us is lying about something. You do. I've never been wrong yet. 
So, what's your real story? I don't know if I... Look, we already have you pegged as someone who's putting on a show. The hair, the suit, the voice, all of it. And we're in the business of investigating crime, we... so we're naturally going to try to get to the bottom of things. Wouldn't it be easier on you to tell us now what's really going on rather than waiting for us to dig it all up ourselves? I have to think. Think away. I... I'm not sure where to start. First things first. You've heard that sound before, and seen the lights or whatever they are. Yes. Tell me. The first time was in New Mexico. We were on the way to the lab here in Phoenix and had stopped for a few nights to meet with another laboratory team in the area and help them catalog a site. Who's we? The research team. Alan, Harry, Katrina, and I. Not Major Holloway. He was already on base, setting up the lab. And what happened? We were at the Los Alamos lab, visiting with a friend of Harry's, and Alan suggested we camp for the night, since we had all the gear and the skies were clear as glass. He has an eye for the stars. All right. Katrina didn't want to stay out in the cold, but she ate with us at least. We were roasting up some marshmallows when it happened. Lights and sounds from all around us... It matched up closely with what the reports had been from the pilots in Tennessee. Want a cigarette? I only smoke Joyce's. Naturally. I needed that. All right. What can you tell us about the research team? Any of them got a dark past riddled with kidnappings, for example? <laughs> oh, Minnie. The worst, best secretary in the business. Or do I mean best worst? Kid showed up at my door, 19 years old, with a face like a wildcat and an attitude to match, and didn't take I'm not looking for an assistant for an answer. She never stops working, and she never stops hassling me, but she's got, uh, what do they call it? Moxie. Spunk. Panache. Pain in the ass. Like a kid's sister, I have to pay every other Friday. I met Alan and Harry G. at Harvard. There were only three women in astronomy. I was one of them. Just like Harry and Alan, I didn't belong at Harvard. I fell in with the two of them. We were friends. Eventually, Alan and I got married. When the Air Force came calling, we all joined together. Came calling? I thought the good doctor joined up in a fit of patriotism. He agreed to sign up out of patriotism, but the Air Force recruited him. Us. Our specialty involves astral phenomena. I primarily research black holes. Harry and Alan had a focus on near-Earth objects, or NEOs, and the Air Force was interested in understanding what they call close space. That a scientific term? It's what the airmen called it. We were put on a research track with Edgar to study a series of phenomena in Tennessee. Pilots at the base there kept encountering things. What kind of things? We don't know. The airmen didn't tell you? The airmen were dead. Four men, all radioed down from test flights that they'd encountered an unknown object moving incredibly fast through lower Earth orbit. They all described a similar object. Bright lights, large shapes, moving at an impossible speed. There were bits and pieces of their transmissions recorded. And each of them crashed. 
And you star scientists investigated? The Air Force thought that there could be one of two explanations. Either some kind of astral object was interfering, or a new weapon was being developed and tested. They wanted us to discover whether the shapes were natural or enemy technology. And what did you find? Nothing. There was nothing. Not even evidence that anything out of the ordinary had occurred. The planes all crashed in the same area, but there was nothing to indicate what caused them to go down. No damage to the planes, no injuries to the pilots, nothing. The four pilots were all dead of no apparent cause. No one else saw anything, at least no one who came forward. And there was no trace of any kind of accident or attack. No records or instrument readings to indicate that something had happened. It was as though four men in good health and head had just gone mad and fallen out of the sky. Not lightning or anything? It couldn't have been some kind of mass hallucination? The men died on different days, Mr. Vargas. Their distress calls came from different places. But there was just one crash site? Yes. The Air Force wasn't particularly glad of the findings. Ambiguity isn't an easy sell in the military. Don't I know it. We were given added security and ordered out to the base here in Phoenix. Allen persuaded the Air Force that the negative results were actually a sign that something bigger and more dangerous was at hand than an errant weather balloon or a freak storm. He wanted to come to the desert for the clear skies and do some observations. And that's what the night experiments were? Yes. I had noticed in going over our research that there were a few unusual spikes in atmospheric pressure the days before each crash. Nothing on the day of, nothing that would have affected the pilots at the moment they... Mr. Vargas, there's two men in uniforms coming up the hall. What should I do? Damn it. Don't worry. Minnie, give him the treatment. Ooh, with pleasure. Mrs. Blaze, come with me. Welcome to Jimmy's Diner. How can I... Oh, hey, pal. How's business? Running fine and dandy, Jim. And what brings you into my place this time of night? My lady friend and I were out for a bit of fresh air when we felt a hankering for some grub. Evening. Good evening. Say, pal, would this be the kind of fresh air that would necessitate a table in the back, away from the windows? You're a regular mind reader, Jimmy, old friend. And I assume as well this is the kind of fresh air to whom you ain't home if they come calling. You've got it exactly. Well, all right then, pal and Miss Mystery. Come on back. What can I bring you, hungry travelers? Plate of your finest. Double whiskey. And a cigarette. Well, all right. She smokes Joyce's. Classy lady like her? I wouldn't have guessed otherwise. It won't be a minute. All right. Where were we? Here. Well, that is something. If you've ever been alone in the back room of a greasy spoon diner with a beautiful woman who's begging for your help, and she's reached into her coat to pull out a file of censored Air Force reports, you'd know how I'm feeling. These papers are fire. You can tell because they're covered in more black bars than a jailhouse jumpsuit. What ain't censored is tantalizing. What's under all that ink must be a damn bombshell. You have any idea about what's hidden under these censor marks? Some of it. This is the key here. I mean, I think. 
I'm sure. A map? Each of these marks indicates an unidentified contact point. If you add in the dates of each event... Whatever it is took Horace Greeley's advice to heart. Right. They're going west. What are these notations? Civilian sightings. The USAF doesn't put too much stock in what farmers and accountants report, but after Asheville, they started plotting civilian reports alongside official ones. Asheville? Sorry. Before the Tennessee pilots, there was another sighting in Asheville, North Carolina, one that made the Air Force sit up and take notice. There had always been reports of things, unusual formations, strange lights, that sort of thing, but this time... The pilot in question was well-respected, important. And his report was extremely specific about what he'd seen. Intense, fluid light forms and cacophonous sound. He insisted that the Air Force try to investigate what he'd seen and launched Project Sign. Jeez, these names. That was before Blaze came on board? Correct. We joined after the Tennessee deaths. There are over 40 points on this map. You've investigated all of them? The Air Force has. Our team is focused more on trying to understand and predict the events. We aren't on the investigatory side of things. Because you didn't solve, Tennessee? Because we're scientists, not detectives. Too bad the Air Force didn't come to me then. I think that was scrupulously intentional. It'll take me time to look through what's here. I speak sensor bar pretty fluently. I'll probably be able to get some of the information they think they've eradicated with their little black highlighters, but I want more information about the immediate situation. When Alan disappeared, was anyone with him? Dr. G or Major Holloway? Just the Major. Harry was in the hospital. A couple of street toughs had jumped him outside a soda shop. Thought he was Japanese and had some leftover aggression to let out from the war. Beat his head in and kicked him all to hell. Bastards. He okay? He's healing. Alan was furious. We were all furious. He went for a drive in the desert to clear his head while Holloway went to the general to... I don't know what his plan was exactly. I think he just needed to yell at someone, and he likes the risk of shouting it out with his superiors. He's enamored of adrenaline. Good trait and a pilot. He's a good man. So there was a shake-up. Then your husband and Major Holloway went out again, business as usual? I wouldn't say business as usual, but they went out to the monitoring station as scheduled. Did anyone go out to the experiment place to see what had happened? An investigation team went, I think. But I don't know what they found or whether they were really looking for anything. When Edgar and I went back later, there was nothing but tent pegs in the remnants of the campfire. So they went to clean up? I think so. Well, there they are. Are we safe? Jimmy's a good guy, but airmen can be intimidating. Give me those papers. That'll keep it safe. It'll be here when we get back. Who's going to look for state secrets under a bundle of greasy cookie sheets? Where are we going? Into the desert. There's nothing to see out there, and the only door goes right out to those men. Let me take care of that. Besides, I think I'd like to have a word with the general. Are you sure that's wise? I seem like a wise guy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Look, I know a little something about how the military works. 
I don't expect the general to tell me much, but I think I can still figure out a few things if I get them at my disadvantage, as it were. She's got a great laugh. In the army, there weren't a lot of spaces for somebody like me. That is, there weren't a lot of official spaces. But I've always been the type to make myself at home, even if I had to make up that space out of nothing first. I always been good at solving puzzles, at listening to people when they're talking, and to hearing what it is they're trying not to say. That's currency in a war, knowing how to listen and how to hear, and knowing that the listening and the hearing ain't the same. Being a detective is the same story. Listen and hear, hear and listen. Everybody lies. Everybody thinks they're a storyteller. But if you listen and hear and pay attention real close, you can hear the seams and figure out how the piece is sewn up. Different stories use different paths. A man might lie like tatted lace. A woman might lie like knitwork. And an army man, a general, he's gonna lie like canvas. A tight, even, strategic cloth cut on straight lines and hemmed in official jargon. I speak jargon as well as I speak censor bar. And if I look this general in the face, I know what I'm going to see. A granite carved edifice of doublespeak. Once I get it down, I can get to unraveling. Mrs. Blaze, if you'd be so kind to accompany me. Wait. Well, that wasn't what I was expecting. Never been kissed by a grateful client? Not like that. Well, let's go. I'm ready now. I'm not. Woof. Good evening. If you'd be so kind as to step away from my friend Jimmy. Are you Detective Pal Vargas? That's right. And you must be the G-men sent to track down Mrs. Blaze here. We're here to escort Mrs. Blaze back to the base. Don't cause any problems. Didn't think I was the one causing them. You okay, Jimmy? This guy in his fancy suit ain't nothing I couldn't have handled, pal. Didn't want to lose that favor you owe me over this. Consider it still owed. Who are you? That's not important, ma'am. It is if you want me to go with you. I don't recognize you from the base, and you're not in uniform. Just come along. Not a chance. The lady's not going anywhere till we know who you are. Maybe not even then if we don't like the answer. I've been given authority to transport Mrs. Blaze back to base. If you cause problems, Mr. Vargas, you will be removed. Removed, huh? That's a nice euphemism. The United States government isn't interested in murdering a third-rate private detective in a second-rate all-night diner. You'll be removed by my associates to another location, alive. You're a tiny little fish, Mr. Vargas. Big fish aren't going to bother eating you. I guess this guy's never heard of filter feeders, no matter how much he looks like one. But still, I'd rather see an entire battalion of airmen than one fancy hombre in a pristine black suit. I don't doubt for a minute he'd kill me without a thought if he felt like it. We're trained from kids to be in awe of a uniform. We see our G.I. Joes and toy soldiers march around the world under a flag. But the most dangerous men ain't the boys in green. It's the men in suits who move quiet as panthers through the night. Men with eyes that open onto darkness. Men who carry secrets and knives. Whatever Emma's got herself into, whatever that poor bastard Alan got into, it's big. 
Somebody important has a serious interest. All right, buddy. How about this? You give us a name, and we go with you. We, together, the both of us. Got it? We aren't friends, Mr. Vargas, and I'm not one to make deals with back-alley dicks. Sure. Mrs. Blaze and I are going to the base. If General Hillebrand wants to see me, all he has to do is ask. Personally. I don't go out into the night with strange men. And yet here you are, a married woman, sneaking out of a back room with a notorious womanizer. Notorious? Ain't been called notorious before. I think our friend here is making things up. Ugh. You do have a hint of a reputation, pal. One I assume you've earned. Sir, my reputation is impeccable. And even if it weren't, I wouldn't give a damn about it right now. My husband is missing. I've been stonewalled at every point by the Air Force, ignored by the General when I asked for his help, and apparently followed by some empty suit with a briefcase full of threats and a haircut so full of grease I can see my reflection. You think I'm intimidated by you? You are a crumb. Damn. Like I said, if the General wants to speak with me, he can come to me personally. I'll be right here, smoking a cigarette, waiting for him. Jimmy? Yes? Another drink, please. Mr. Vargas, will you see our friends here out? With pleasure. Mrs. Blaze, you're making a mistake. I don't think I am. But I don't much care either way. Now what? We wait. What's happening to Detective Pal Vargas? And what does the mysterious Mrs. Blaze know about it? What are the strange lights dancing through the streets of Phoenix? Join us next time on the Joyce Cigarette Radio Hour to hear the further adventures of Pal Vargas and the Phoenix Lights. This has been a production of The Neverad Miscellany. The Neverad Miscellany is produced and directed by Conrad Mishuk. Phoenix Lights is written by Kit Keller, with sounds by Cody Hazel and music by Cody Hazel and Conrad Mishuk. The announcer and Jim are played by William Crook. Pal is played by Ryan Jenkins. Minnie is played by Janae Hirsch. Emma is played by Jamie Haas. The man in the suit is played by Conrad Mishuk. The Joyce jingle is performed by Kit Keller. This episode was edited by Cody Hazel. The Neverad Miscellany is proudly produced in Phoenix, Arizona, and usually performed live. If you're going to be in town, check out neverrad.com for future show information. Visit neverrad.com for news, extras, and more episodes. There are transcriptions on the website if you'd like to read along. You can find the live videos of the episodes at neverrad.com YouTube. Get wonderful benefits by becoming a subscription donor at neverrad.com Patreon. Please send any questions or comments to info at neverrad.com. If you are a miscellanist working in the field, you may call and leave us a report of your strange and interesting findings at 224-CALL-RAD. That's 224-225-5723. 
If you're a local Phoenix, Arizona writer or voice actor, visit NeverRad.com to apply to join us. If you like the NeverRad Miscellany, be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting service and connect with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NeverRad, Tumblr, neverrad.tumblr.com, Instagram, at never.rad, and Twitter, at neverrad. Special thanks to the Duck and Decanter. 